You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Just as you thought it was safe to tuck into your mince pies, along comes Null and Void, episode 131, just to distract you for a moment anyway. What could be better than all the very best sports stories, your contacts, and a get a grip target that justifies a pie in the face? If all that wasn't enough for you, we have a great guest also, who's chairman of a rugby club, has three children, two dogs, and works full time. So we're particularly grateful she is our guest a little later on. Now my weekend, well, normally I go running to get the paper at weekend, um, but I had to add in, of course, the delivery to all the various local people of their Christmas cards. Actually, I forgot one and I've just been round tonight and done that, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, There's always one rogue one, isn't there? But when you run around the village over 37 years or whatever it is we've been here, you bump into lots of people who say hello, and some people, I don't know, but they seem to know my name. Um, And uh, this weekend I I bumped into a guy who said, Tony, and I said, yeah, and I wasn't sure it was, but he said, Andy, lace-ups. I I didn't quite catch, I said, what did you say? He said, lace-ups. And I realised he was talking about the sports shop at the bottom of St. Peter's Hill in Cavisham, Reading. means nothing to null and voiders from further afield, but just to tell you, he was really good business he had, and I bought an awful lot of equipment. So we had a chat with him, and in our conversation, I managed managed to uh, mention John Carney, uh, the world champion powerlifter who we've obviously had on. He said, oh, I've heard about him on a podcast. Now, I don't know whether it was null and void, but we'll claim it anyway. Yeah. You're having that, uh, yeah. But apart from that, lovely to see him again. And I've watched Premier League football and WSL football as well. How about you? Um, I was catching up with uh, some old friends, uh, people I sort of uh, was friends with back in my teenage years. So a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, and we caught up. We have an annual catch up the weekend before Christmas every year. So Henley was the uh, lucky venue to have us all there this weekend uh so it was a cracking tie meal in the giggling squid um if anyone is local to the oxfordshire or um oxfordshire and berkshire area i think they've got a few giggling squids out there i would heartily recommend great thai food very authentic uh lovely atmosphere great service um and then also one or two libations afterwards and then with a bit of a sore head yesterday i sat and watched uh Harlequins against Toulouse, which certainly didn't make the sore head any better. <laughs> More of that later. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about football first, shall we? And I particularly choose that on the basis of very dramatic scenes at Bournemouth, where the match was abandoned after 65 minutes when Luton Town captain Tom Lockyer collapsed on the field. Lockyer had collapsed last season, actually in the playoff final at Wembley, but after heart surgery had been cleared to play this season. On Saturday, he was said to have had a cardiac arrest. It's not known about his future in in the professional game. The important thing is he is recovering in hospital. All the best to him and all his family. Everybody understood why the game had to be abandoned and it will be replayed in full 90 minutes uh, in, in the weeks to come. 
Okay, at the top of the Premier League, Arsenal went one point clear, beating uh, beating Brighton. Whilst Villa won again, Liverpool and City both only drew their home matches against Palace and Manchester United. Newcastle, in the meantime, beat 10-man Fulham 3-0. But probably the implications that we should talk about it, Andy, is both Newcastle and Manchester United are out of Europe totally. Um, and that, you know, probably was more of a surprise to you than it was to me. I, I thought Manchester United might. I thought Newcastle might go through into the Europa League. Didn't happen. It was looking looking good at one point when Newcastle were 1-0 up against Milan and um, Dortmund were beating PSG. And then in the space of about 10 minutes, the wheels came off. Uh, Dort- uh, PSG equalised and then went ahead against Dortmund. And uh, Milan equalised and went ahead against Newcastle. So uh, all I'll say is that uh, what it helps us do now is prioritise the league and the chase <laughs> for the top four um, at the end of this season. Funny enough, I had that all lined up for Manchester United. So I think we're even on that. One thing Although I will say... The implications are that it could now affect the UEFA coefficient and mean yes. that English clubs only get four Spanish yes, champions. Yeah. The, the other thing I would say, Andy, when we were talking about the question uh, was put to us as to w- whether we thought uh, United or Newcastle would finish highest. I was my answer to that was based on Newcastle staying in Europe. In other words, they'd still have that complication. It may be very close indeed over the rest of the season between those two. We will see. But talking about Champions League, the draw was today. And I think uh, it's favourable for the two remaining clubs in it. City are playing Copenhagen and Arsenal against Porto. Watch this space, as they say. Right. WSL, I watched a disappointing Manchester United team lose at home to Liverpool 2-1. Interestingly for me, I realised that I'm now just as passionate about watching United women as the men when I find myself swearing at the screen for some of the very sloppy passing that any coach would have been shouting about. (laughs) Um, But, you know, just as I would with the men's team. So I just suddenly thought... I've arrived. I am now. Yeah, you're so fully it was, it hooked in. Yeah, seminal moment, as they say. But elsewhere, uh, Chelsea, with a good win, remain top with 25 points. City are second on 22, and uh, as are Arsenal. Goal difference in third. And United on in fourth on 18. Those three points would have made such a difference. Anyway, Arsenal lost at uh, surprisingly uh, to Spurs. Okay, what else have we got? Well, I move on to cricket. Are you coming with me on this one, Andy? Yeah, let's well, talk if we about... have to. <laughs> yeah, well, in the men's, um, England won in the third of the five-match uh, T20 series. That makes it 2-1 to the West Indies. Uh, England opener Salt hit 109 and skipper Butler 51 in their seven-wicket victory. The two final games in that series come up this week as well, so we'll no doubt talk about them at another time. Mm-hmm. So you got some information on the Australia-Pakistan. That was a surprise result, wasn't it? Yeah, well, not really a surprise result. Australia had a uh, thumping win, uh, 360 runs in the first test in Perth 
on a pitch that uh, Perth, the old Wacker ground, used to be renowned for its uh, it, its bounce and zipping through. This pitch had bounce at, uh, by day four. One ball was coming through at nose height, and then a ball pitched on the exact same length was coming through at ankle height. So some variable bounce there that I think the Pakistan batters struggled to deal with. But Nathan Lyon, the Australian spinner, took his 500 test wicket in the game as Australia skittled um, Pakistan for 86 in their second innings. And also under fire opening batter, David Warner responded to the critics uh, with an opening 164 in the first innings. Um, he did get a duck in the second innings though. So uh, <laughs> order was resumed, but I know him and his wife, Candice had both fired back at the critics um, of Warner through the last couple of weeks. Um, so Warner went out onto the field and did his talking on the pitch. So uh, 164, love him or loathe him. You've got to say that uh, when the chips are down and he's not trying to punch Joe Root in a pub in Birmingham, then he is a very good opening batter. Yeah, we have to have to go along with that. And Nathan Lyons is, is actually signed for Lancashire for next season. So, uh, that's yeah, something. I mean, yeah, the old Trafford pitch has been traditionally taken spin and good for spinners. Not so much since they turned it around 90 degrees a couple of years ago, but it's still, still pretty good for spinners. Um, and talking of a wicket that was good for spinners, uh, uh, England women's test against India, the one-off standalone test. I think it, this game showed that we just need more test cricket in women's cricket um, to really get teams ready for red ball cricket. I mean, England collapsed in both innings in Mumbai. Uh, they were out for 136 and 131 uh, in a 347-run defeat. So India piled on the runs in the first innings. They scored 400 on day one. Uh, before England succumbed to the spin of Deepthi Sharma. She took nine for 39 in the match, and that included five wickets for seven runs in England's first innings, as England lost their last six wickets for 28 runs. And I think what it what it really showed, and Captain Heather Knight said afterward, these are just conditions that the uh, England women's team in ha haven't had experience of playing elongated matches. You know, Knight's been an England player for what, 13 14 years and that was her 13th test match so it just shows the 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 lack of test yep. cricket that the women's team are getting to play and I, i'd love to see more after you know what was a great test last summer um against australia at trent bridge i'd love to see that they haven't got any red ball cricket now until potentially next summer or even next winter because there's nothing yep. lined up in the summer of 2024 so Real shame there, but yeah, I think it was a, a bit of a rude awakening and a rude introduction to um, the Indian pitches, the bunts and burners that you get sometimes in India, in Mumbai. So a tough, tough couple of days for the England team. Okay, and the rugby union, uh, European action, wasn't it? It was indeed, yeah. So some some really exciting and great matches. Uh, Northampton left it very late to seal a win and take the four-try bonus point against former winners Toulon in the European Cup. Uh, Leicester held on for a 27-24 win um, away to Stade Francais. And they had to, that was despite spending the last 10 minutes to, uh, a man down after Mike Brown was Simbin for a, uh, a deliberate knock-on. Uh, my team, Quinns, were well beaten, 47-19 at home by Toulouse. Um, uh, started the game really well. Um, and then it never really happened after that. Toulouse uh, were 
imperious and Anton Dupont showed why he's the best player in the world at the moment in the men's game. Um, and Exeter had a really hard-fought win over Munster. So, uh, topped out, not a great weekend for the Irish teams. But then also in rugby, in the most unsurprising news this year, Eddie Jones has been unveiled as the new head coach of Japan. Now, yeah, remember, this is... Such this a is, surprise. This is Fast Eddie absolutely furiously denied having spoken with Japan yeah. ahead of Australia's dismal World Cup run. So, who are we to question that? Um Many have, including Sonny Bill Williams, um, have come out in the press and questioned it. But we're not. We're going to take Fast Eddie at his word and uh, <laughs> say that we, we believe that he didn't. I've been told by the lawyers, we have to say, we believe he didn't talk to Japan while still the head coach <laughs> of Australia. Yeah, right. OK. So hmm. I mean, this, this will be his second stint as head coach of the Brave Blossoms. Remember the fantastic win he led them to in the 2015 World Cup down in Brighton as they yeah. beat South Africa in the dying seconds. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that he'll make a good go of it and wish him all the best, although I'm, I'm not sure Australian fans would echo that sentiment. <laughs> Having been in Australia recently, definitely they wouldn't. They wouldn't. <laughs> uh, tennis next. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, at 28 years old, is saying that after wrist surgery and various other injuries, he doesn't feel like playing anymore and definitely will not be playing in January's Australian Open. Kyrgios reached the Wimbledon final in 2022, but actually in 2019 suffered mental health issues and had said he actually considered suicide. So hopefully he will recover from the injuries. And at 28, obviously many years more he could play, but it shows again that there's strains and stresses at the top level of sport. I mean, so wish do you him think, again, probably for a deeper conversation than... Uh, on our pod tonight in the uh, in the run up to the festive season, but do you think that we're seeing almost now a, a bit of two years on post where players were in that bubbles in all the different elite hmm. sports, almost a little bit of burnout, sort of post bubble fatigue or whatever, where people almost had the fun of that sporting environment sucked out of it during that time. It was very much just churn it through and locked up in hotel rooms. And all that yes. sort of thing. I, I just I don't know whether we're seeing some sort of now later knock-on effects from that. I think it, yeah, and it's the schedules and the amount of time in tennis. They're on court sometimes, which is not limited, you know. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it is a subject we clearly will return to. But he's not the first who's actually talked in those terms at a relatively young age. Um, now you got an update on Rob Burrows and Kevin Sinfield, haven't you? Yeah. So, um, yes. Um, now, Leeds fans have always, uh, us Rhinos fans have always called him Sir Kev for many a year. But uh, him and Rob Burrow, it's just been announced this afternoon, will be being awarded the CBE. Both of them being awarded the CBE in the King's Honours in the New Year's list. So obviously, Rob for being at the forefront of everything that he's doing. Uh, to raise awareness um, that him and his, his wife, Lindsay, and their family have done around raising awareness for MND. And obviously, Sir Kev, with just last week, finished his 7 in 7 in 7 challenge. So seven ultramarathons in seven days in seven different 
cities around the UK and Northern Ireland. So uh, last week was the final day. The final day run was uh, in London. He started at uh, the home of Rugby Union, where he's been employed by England for the last uh, 12 months as the defence coach. So started at Twickenham and finished on the Mall in London. So each leg over the seven days was 27.2 miles. So a marathon. And then Kev said they tacked on the extra mile to almost signify the extra mile that we can all go for our mates who are facing difficulties. So just an amazing man and an amazing team that were out there doing that. Yeah. They set a target of raising £777,777. So sevens, because Rob Burrow, the jersey he wore when he was at Rhinos was seven. Uh, currently, the fundraising stands at over £1.04 million. So just fantastic. And that's on top of the five, six million they've raised already for MND over the last three years with the challenges. Superb effort. Superb effort. Okay, just a brief one on golf. To follow up last week when I was talking about John Rahm's defection for an obscene amount of money, I think it's fair to say, to Saudi-backed LIV. LIV's Greg Norman, the chief executive, said, more apples will fall, which I think in other speak means other top golfers are going to follow. So it's not a story that's going to go away, that one. So uh, we will follow it duly. Now, I didn't think I'd ever say this to you, but Ski Skeleton Bob, what's that mean? Uh, it's been a successful weekend for um, British winter sports athletes in skiing, in snowboarding, and in Skeleton Bob. The Skeleton Bob is the one I really want to have a go at. Just diving headfirst down a mountain <laughs> on a tea tray just looks like the ultimate buzz and probably a quick way to get dead as well. But, uh, but, but no, really successful weekend for the British athletes. Kirsty Muir took a bronze in the big air skiing category in the World Cup event at uh, Copper Mountain in Colorado. Um, and that backs up her silver earlier this month in the China leg of the World Cup series. Uh, Mia Brooks' silver in the snowboard big air event, in, also in Colorado, was enough to secure her the Crystal Globe as the highest ranked competitor across the five legs of the World Cup event. So she's nice. won that. Um, and her teammate, Zoe Atkin, also won a bronze in the half pipe freestyle skiing. So um, that's the one where they're on the on the tube and they're going down pull it performing all the tricks um on this side of the atlantic there was further success uh with britain's most successful winter paralympian um adding another gold to her haul in the downhill skiing at the para alpine world cup in san moritz um and also andrew musgrave took silver in the 20 kilometer uh skiathlon that's the sort of the cross-country skiing in trondheim and then the skeleton Bob that we talked about as an event, Matt Weston won the gold at Innsbruck with Craig Thompson also on the podium, mm. just uh, taking bronze, but just 0.6 seconds slower than the winner Weston. So a really successful weekend for British athletes and para-athletes uh, in the skiing, both here and in the USA. I love the name Copper Mountain in Colorado. That just, that that's so sounds like something that you see one of those runaway trains going down the side yeah. of or something. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the first time we've talked about that, isn't it? Anyway. Uh, for a while, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for quite a while. Athletics. Uh, a male Olympic, a British male Olympic athlete was supplied with banned 
performance-enhancing drugs by an American therapist who has pleaded guilty to a series of offences. Court case is on at the moment. The athlete, along with other international athletes, has not yet been identified. The Athletics Integrity Unit and UK Athletics have so far declined to comment. Clearly, we'll hear more soon. So, interesting one. Big question marks there as to who that might be. Andy, NFL. And the 49ers won their sixth game in a row with a 45-29 win away in Arizona. So, Lee Spore will be more than happy to see his beloved 49ers uh, doing well. Uh, Miami Dolphins moved a step closer to the playoffs whilst also finishing the New York Jets' hopes with a crushing 30-0 win in Florida. And the Baltimore Ravens moved clear at the top of the AFC North with a 23-7 win at Jacksonville, whilst the LA Chargers head coach Brandon Stanley paid the price for his team losing 63-21 to Las Vegas Raiders as both him and the general manager uh, Tom Telesco was sacked by the owner Dean Spanos just hours after the game. So it's uh yeah fairly brutal with only what three games to go rather mm. than wait till the end of the season. Uh the owner has decided that enough was enough and that that, that crushing defeat 63-21 is a big loss. Um but that meant that they were uh relieved of their duties. But yeah certainly with what I think yeah three games left in the regular season we're starting to see what the playoff ladders could be looking like. And as I say, the 49ers are the first team first team to be uh, automatically qualified, topping their division. OK, so nine different sports for you tonight. Let's move on to the contacts. And what we said and promised to do uh, with Victoria Monk and the team is give you an update on the There She Rose crew and their trip across the Atlantic. What have yes. you got? So regular listeners will know that we've had the team captain of the There She Rose team, uh, Victoria, on a couple of times to talk about their challenge of rowing the 3,000 miles across the Atlantic to raise funds and also awareness about keeping women and girls in sport and getting them back into sport. And just what an inspirational team. Uh, the first week they've been beset by seasickness, all of the team, and struggling to get their daily required calories in or keep them in without being too graphic but um the update today is that they're currently in waves that are over 25 feet tall and being bounced around a lot so yeah but phenomenal what they're doing but the team are going great guns they're sitting seventh overall with 420 nautical miles under their belt i have no idea how you convert nautical miles into uh, normal miles. So I'm sure some of our listeners that are uh, water-based will be able to tell us. And those that are a lot brighter than me will know the equation. But yeah, 420 nautical miles under their belt. So seventh overall in the race and currently second in the women's class, just seven nautical miles behind the US team's Salty Science. So they're doing brilliantly. That's sort of week one done and under their belts. They're over sort of an eighth of the way across and going brilliantly. Great news. Well done, ladies. Brilliant, brilliant work. We'll keep you posted on that. It's over a seven or eight week period, isn't it, though? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think the, the record is 40 days for completing it. And uh, the, the team, the boat that's got, there's one boat that's got five rowers in. You can have five, four, 
two, yeah. three, two, or even the soloists doing it um, this year. But obviously, the, the more rowers you've got, the better it is. And the the five boat team are um, looking at potentially knocking on the door of that record with how they're going so far. Okay, uh, quick update on Doddy Weir. Yeah, so I'm um, going to set a challenge for any of our listeners who are maybe considering their New Year's resolutions, because this is our last um, recording until into the new year. So you might remember that at the start of last year, we talked about it and we all took part in Doddy Aid. Well, Doddy Aid's back. And again, it aims to raise funds and awareness um, around MND, as well as encouraging people to get active in January, which is usually a period where we all set those New Year resolutions after a mince pie or three too many over the festive period. So we're going to set a challenge for our listeners um, and anyone who wants to take part. If you want to sign up, you can sign up at doddyaid.com. That's D-O-D-D-I-E-A-I-D.com. Um, it'll cost you a donation of 20 quid, but that does get you a buff, a neck buff in the tartan of the region that you choose. Um, and then you just log the miles that you swim, run, walk, cycle, however you get active through January. Now, I'm going to put a caveat on this, Tony. This year, you can't use the miles you cover in golf because oh. given your shots going left and right, it <laughs> gives you an unfair advantage in the distance that you walk. <laughs> that's that's, that's going to cripple my efforts, I'll tell you. But anyway, OK. <laughs> but I've, I've set up, if, if and when people do register, once you've signed up, uh, go to the Join League option in the app and search for Null and Void, and the and is the ampersand and yeah. sign. Um, and you can join us in taking part, and we'll see who out of our listeners and our friends and families that take part um, can top the leaderboard there whilst also getting healthy and raising funds to help fight this horrific illness. I've joined the Team Barbarians, which is the team for all those not in Scotland and Wales. Um, and, and the celebrity captain for that is uh, Kelly Cates, the football pundit and commentator. Oh, so, uh, yeah, they've got different celebrity captains for each region. So, yeah, if you... Join dottyaid.com, 20 quid for a buff, and that'll get you involved. And then you can sign up to join the Null and Void League, and we'll see how people get on. Okay, look forward to doing that. Um, right, uh, get a grip. <laughs> now, my target for get a grip tonight is actually the BBC. It comes as the Beeb announced that Question of Sport sports quiz that's been around for how many years? 40 years at least? Um, is to be dropped from the schedules. Some of you may remember when David Coleman in the early days with Emily Hughes and Bill Beaumont established the programme as a must-watch. Up until two years ago, Sue Barker with Phil Tufnell and Matt Dawson kept the programme at the top of the ratings. They were all dropped two years ago some genius at the BBC decided, and Paddy McGuinness took over as host, and audiences have declined to a fifth of the level they were two years ago. The idea that good old Paddy will get everyone laughing failed miserably. It seemed to be that the more you could laugh out loud when nobody knew on earth what was going on, then the audience would find that amusing. 
totally wrong as far as I'm concerned, and clearly a lot of other people as well. So the BBC is pretty good at making big mistakes. They've made another with this one, but, you know, too late because a fifth of the audience is only remained. So that's coming off air. And it's created changes. Why? Why did they do that? We're going to improve it, make people laugh, dumb it down. I don't get it. But for a sporting quiz, it was really good. So what we now would like to say to the BBC is get a grip. Another pathetic decision by your inept executives. Big Christmas greetings to you all at Broadcasting House. <laughs> I mean, yeah. on, on that line as well, I mean, I loved Question of Sport in those days, as you say, Emily Hughes and Bill Beaumont, when I was just knee-height to a Mars bar and watching <laughs> it um, and, and really enjoying it. Um, they've also moved Sports Personality of the Year this year to a midweek, and I've got no idea why that is or what the what the crack is there. Um, so not sure what's going on at the BBC, but certainly they they don't seem to be putting the sporting uh, sort of events or well, the, the programs that sit around sport that are another way of getting other people interested and involved. Uh, they don't seem to be putting them into any sort of priority at all. So, yeah, I'd second that. Uh, yeah, dear, dear Beeb from a an angry license payer, get a grip. Two angry license birds. Right. Now it's time for our guests. Mm -hmm. Sam Wallace Robinson is chairman of Abbey Rugby Club. So when I was introduced to Sam via friend of the podcast, Barry Wood, I couldn't wait to be able to say what I'm about to say. Sam Wallace Robinson, a very big welcome to Non and Void. How are you doing, Sam? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Nice, nice that you're there. Now, I guess one of the un things first off is it is pretty unusual, isn't it, for a, a, a female to be chairman of a rugby club? Am I right? Yeah, I'd say it's probably still quite rare. Yep. All right. And very often one of the early questions I ask our guests, whatever sport they're representing is, why do you do it? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> How, how many times a week do you ask yourself that? Well, exactly. <laughs> Why do I do it? Um, I've got three boys, one of which is 22, one of which is 16, and one of which is 12. So my eldest started playing when he was four in 2005. And I kind of watched him for a bit and got a little bit frustrated maybe with the way things were doing. And I thought, well, I can't stand here and moan. Let's get my hands dirty and get involved. And kind of that's where I still am, well, whatever, 17, 18 years later. Um, and I guess the best thing is seeing a child go from four years old to playing senior rugby. That must be brilliant for you. Yeah, there's there's nothing better than seeing someone you knew as a, you know, toddling around with a little tag belt now running around on a full-size pitch with the ones. Yeah, I mean, and Andy uh, is the expert on, on rugby, on, on our side of things, me more football. But we both were talking about you, if you don't mind me saying so, and saying that has to be really unusual. 
did you meet a lot of resistance from the male fraternity or or has, has that been an easy passage? Because you, I think it was June last year, May last year, you uh, took over the role of chairman. Yeah, so I've been doing it sort of 18 months. Um, No, not really. And, and I guess that's because I'd been running the youth section for about 12 years. So I'd kind of earned my stripes and my husband plays and coaches. And I think with all the boys coaching or pl uh, playing, I was just part of the furniture, really. And I I kind of don't, I don't really see male, female. I see who's best for the job. Okay. I can't, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really, I, I don't feel either way about it, really. Um, I mean, yes, there are challenges. And I had one yesterday when I went to take my son to play over at um, a local club. And I'd been communicating with their team manager and their head coach. And they came over to introduce themselves and went, I hate to say it, but we expected you to be a man. And I said, oh, you're fine. I get that quite a lot, um, which, is, which is fine. And I quite like it because it's that surprise element. Yeah, and it kind of picks you out of a, a very big pack, doesn't it? To be honest, that has to be good. And, and maybe equally also, that puts pressure on you, which you're quite happy to take, which says, I'll show you. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm a bit of a gobshite, to be fair. So um, <laughs> I kind of just get on with it and I'm quite thick skinned and I am a bit like Marmite. You, you kind of take me or you leave me. And it's uh, <laughs> kind of my approach to it all. But actually, it's fine. I, I honestly think once you take away any of those preconceptions, it doesn't exist. If we stop talking about these things, they'll disappear. That's a, that's a good point. I, I mean, Andy was involved for many years up at uh, Digkit, weren't you? Uh, um, uh, yeah, and uh, many a time ran into uh, the the as Will Carling so eloquently called them the old farts and the blazers and the alakadoos. And uh, yeah, it's something that I don't have much time for, having been uh, sacked by the uh, um, chairman of the rugby union from coaching a local club. I think he, he, he sacked me a couple of months before he sacked Martin Johnson from the England team. So, uh, yeah, we were, in, we were in good, I was in good company that year, but as a result, I, I, I don't know about you, Sam, but I, I don't have much time for the, yeah, for the, for the alakadoos around the game. I think there's some good ones. Um, I think, I think it's a generational shift and I think there is quite a lot of, well, it worked this way in our day and age. And I don't think quite yet the RFU are ready to modernise and realise the way they need to move the game forward for the next generation. Um, and it is very frustrating that we seem to be stalled. And I think if we're not careful, rugby union won't be the same game in five years that it is now. What do you see there as the biggest sort of changes that have been happening, Sam, that are causing the game to change from where it was to where you say it might not, might not be the, the same game in five years? I think there's a lot of uh, lack of communication with community clubs, a lack of understanding what community clubs want. They do say they go and talk to community clubs, but whenever I've been to any of these forums, they're they're, they're they're kind of structured to give them the answer they want it most of the time. Um, the lowering the tackle height was a prime example. I, I don't think anyone disagreed that lowering the tackle height was fundamentally a good idea, 
but the way it was implemented and the turnaround time and the, the lack of consultation just you know that almost destroyed rugby I got really frustrated with that. I was actually part of the people from the community game invited to then after the backlash to take part in the, the working groups, the, yeah. the doing all the homework and everything. Mm. And we were given such tight parameters. Oh, it was awful. That it, 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 was, it was token effort was, at best. Yeah. Uh, Sweeney was actually at the one I went to. Um, but it was, it was very structured in the what the answers they wanted to give and there was very little ability to go outside of the nice little slides they had mm. and the questions they'd already answered for you um yeah. <laughs> yeah it was a frustrating evening definitely i'm surprised that bill sweeney made it out of there in one piece with the uh the feeling there was from the community game uh, the the highlight for me was when um we were told that they hadn't seen the raw data behind the french um studies so all of this was a powerpoint presentation that had come through from the french rugby union and no one had actually seen the raw data that fed into this Just now interestingly enough the study was done over a period where 18 months to two years of it was covid yeah um so you know there we go although i have to say the lowering the tackle height has had no impact on i don't know your thoughts but from watching rugby week in week out Oh, I, I don't think it's been a huge problem. I haven't seen a huge amount of red and yellow cards. Um, I don't think the problem was in the community game. Uh, no, no, because the community players aren't the ones that are uh, 18 to 20 stone at six foot 30 and clattering into each other <laughs> at uh, 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally. Um, so I don't think that help matters. I think the whole concussion piece has not been managed very well. Um, there seems to be a massive fear element, but I don't think, and, and there's obviously a risk playing rugby. Of course there is, like there is boxing, like there is rugby league, like, you know, if, if <laughs> any sport you, you have that, you, you know, there's a risk. Um, I mean, I think the, the, the risks are quite small. And they're putting the fear of God into people from a game that was very different when it was played 20, 25 years ago. And I think it would be interesting to see some studies of the game in the way it is played now, as opposed to the way it was played. And I think that is that is a key fundamental when this is all talked about. It's a bit like heading a football, isn't it? You know, when you were heading one of those hard leather balls, of course, that's going to do you some harm. But the balls now are so much lighter but they're implementing rules that were relevant, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, we're almost looking at it through the lens of today's knowledge against, mm. uh, you know, sort of what was happening uh, or, or, sorry, the impact of what happened 20, 30, year, 30 years ago is being measured with today's knowledge. And, yeah, the, the advances in, in medicine mean that things are going to get picked up more. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's players that are part of this, legal claim and i'm not even going to get into it or ask you to go into that but that retired before this cte yeah. had even been yeah. recognized by doctors or even found yeah so yeah, yeah. are you seeing though that because of that communication and almost that putting the fear of god into people is that having an impact on recruiting at a, a community oh. level I think it is. I think um, I think that combined with the COVID years, I think we saw 
a lot of our older players um, hang their boots up, decide they weren't playing. I also think there's an impact the other end where parents are a bit scared about their kids playing rugby and what that might bring. And therefore, I think it's hitting both ends of the spectrum. And there isn't a lot of context or communication that comes out from the RFU about this. It's almost let's let's just ignore it and maybe it will go away. Whereas actually, I think more could be done to talk about it. So what do you do at Abbey, Sam, to counteract what you know is going on there? You know, in terms of recruitment, the, the, the youth development side, what sort of actions have you taken? Well, we, we, we go a lot of word of mouth and we do sort of communications in schools. We run a schools tournament for year seven and eight children in September um, every year because we think that's a really good opportunity to give state school children the opportunity to experience rugby at a rugby club, see how it can be played, organised. We give them food afterwards. We're looking to do a similar one for girls in March. It, it was meant to be last month, but unfortunately the weather played a part. And we've had to postpone it to March. Um, ideally, we try and go to sort of school fairs and things like that to try and generate um, extra players. Uh, you, you word of mouth, a lot of word of mouth. Uh, Please can little Johnny come because his best mate's playing and we go from there. Seniors is much, much harder. Um, it's it's. There's not enough rugby players now for the, the teams and the games that are around. And that is hard. Uh, we went back to our player base this year and worked out, tried to bring players back as opposed to looking for new players, which has worked really well for us this year. Uh, but it's, it, it, yeah, if anyone's got the answer to that one, <laughs> it, it's difficult. <laughs> but it, does it mean on a week-to-week, on a -week, <clears throat> quarter-to-quarter, that financially <clears throat> it's a tough model to follow? No, because we um subs are generally played at the start of the season. So yeah. that's that's what you get in. Um and our seniors can play on a payment schedule, but a lot of them choose to play to sort of pay up front. We've also got more senior players sponsored this year than we've ever had before. So that then means the money comes in at the beginning of the season. So really? but a lot of a lot of our running is not necessarily through subs. You rely on bar take, you rely on, for example, we are our rugby club. We work with a local motorcycle company who use our some of our space Monday to Friday, eight till six when we're not using it because we're fortunate to own all our own land and we've got, you know, a decent amount of land. And the way to move forward is to try and work in conjunction with other opportunities that allow you to run rugby alongside them. Sounds, sounds pretty healthy setup, and obviously you're very proud of being part of that, quite rightly. Do you get sometimes from other clubs who are less successful and not as well set up as you, uh, resistance in a sense of saying it's all right for you at Abbey? Um, I wouldn't say we're necessarily one of the, the, the best set up uh, in Berkshire. I mean, I think we're very fortunate that we do own our own land. Mm. Um, so that means we make our own decisions. We're not driven by the council telling us we can't play because it's too wet or too hard um, and we're responsible for our own, own pitches. Our clubhouse isn't the most fancy in the world, but actually we don't have any debt and therefore we th there's, there's the, the balance off there. Um, so we, we, we just get on with it in the way we, we think works for us, really. Um, 
I've got to give credit. A couple of years ago, I was over there with Digcott uh, for one of our away games, probably this time of the year, just just before Christmas. I was actually coaching our twos while we were over there and actually got a broken finger as a coach, trying to catch a ball that had been kicked off the pitch. And uh, our physio showed me no sympathy whatsoever. But we had a, we had a great, great after game um, hospitality from, from you all. Uh, you know, lovely food. Um, the beer was was very, very tasty. Um, and the great thing was I, I live in Reading, so I wasn't even able to get back to Digcott. It was a, a, a short hop on the bus for me. So, yeah, pro- probably I'd like to think I helped with the bar takings <laughs> that night. <laughs> we're, we're fortunate. We've got some of the best pitches in the county. We Where we sit, we drain really, really well. So our, our pitches are pretty much playable all year. And our, our first team pitch is playable all year. Um, we obviously, if it's frozen, we can't play. But our, our grounds team do an absolute amazing job on our pitches. Yeah, I was just going to say, from a practical point of view, you're looking forward to 2024. Obviously, there's lots of things going on. Do you use local media quite a bit to promote the club? Do you Have you got good links there? Because that sometimes is missed out by clubs. Just probably, how important that probably is. Probably not as much as we should. Um, we use social media a lot. Um, and so she, some uh, my head of the women and girls actually took on our social media this year and it's been streamlined and centralized and she controls it all. So it's one one central message coming out. We've seen a huge increase in our social media coverage this year. So we, we went on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. And the the impressions and the the views we're getting on that since we've really managed that has has been incredible. Um, we were quite fortunate this year in the fact that Jack and Tom Willis come from Abbey. All right. So they played all their mini and junior career at Abbey, and their dads played for our first team. So they're they're a massive part of our club. And off the back of Jack being part of the World Cup squad, we actually had the RFU come up to Abbey and film a lovely video of our club and what we do and how we operate and interview various different people. So that went out and and that got an awful lot of views. And it was lovely. It was a really nice video. So we've had that. um, And we were fortunate enough to have some of the England ladies who came up to do some sessions with our girls in April and that went out on ITV news. So we've been quite fortunate this year in in having some some really, really good publicity. Do you Excellent. tend to find with events like the World Cup that you get a spike in interest and engagement or, or does it tend to not have that much of an impact on numbers coming through the door? It did when it was in England. And there was mm-hmm. a lot of publicity about it. Um, I think less so this year, but I think that's in part because the whole English setup was a bit rubbish. The lead up to it, <laughs> we, we didn't exactly uh, shine. Um, and the timings of the matches were really not very helpful for rugby clubs. Um, so I don't think we've seen quite the same impact this year it'll be really interesting to see what happens with the women's world cup in two years i was about to say yeah with the announcements of the venues although as a newcastle fan i'm i'm going to find it very hard to go to sunderland for the first game (laughs) but yeah Yeah. i mean the excitement is already building i've got friends and, and you know we're all looking at the 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 game at twickenham against france as well this year we've already got our tickets 
for that for the women's game. So I think there's a there's a huge opportunity and a huge growth there. You said you've got a women's and a girls section at Abbey. Yeah, Center. so we've got two we've got two women's teams, and we've actually got under twelves, under fourteens, under sixteens, and under eighteen girls, which is the first time this season we've had all all four age groups. So mm. yeah, really healthy women and girls set up at Abbey. So from a very practical point of view, we uh, we get out to 43 countries across the world, which is not relevant to Berkshire in that sense. But just for those people that might be listening to you and saying, I'm in Berkshire, I would like to get the kids involved, I'd like to know more about Abbey. Um, how do they best contact you? How do they do that? The best way is to probably go through our social media and go onto our, our Facebook page or our Instagram and ping a message on there and we'll get back to you. Um, the other option is to go onto our website and if you go into the contact section, you'll find my my name on there under youth chair or chairman and there's a, there's an email there for me as well. Brilliant. Okay, well, I know one other thing you did say to me, an interest in other sports, because we're passionate about all sports. You talked about cricket as being a great interest of yours, because yes. one of your sons plays, plays cricket, yeah? Yeah, and my boys play at Pepperdon Stoke Ray, which is just up the road from us. Um, all my boys have played since they were little, and, and cricket is a huge passion of mine. I spend a lot of my summer going and watching cricket around the country, so, yes. I mean, Tony also mentioned that, you know, yeah. as well as being the chair at Abbey, obviously the cricket, the, the dogs, the boys, full-time job. How would you squeeze it all into a day, Sam? Oh, I'm quite an organised, disciplined person. You have to be. <laughs> and, yeah, you, you kind of just make it work um, sometimes. Some, sometimes it's tough and hard, but actually I think you just get into a routine and, you know, how you do it and when you do it and you get on with it really um mm -hmm. i've got i've had three children you can you know <laughs> yeah. be, you, i mean you go to the gym five days a week as well don't you yeah i go to the gym yeah that's my time i have to go to the gym i'm a really grumpy person if i don't exercise and <laughs> when i go to the gym i'm just sam and i'm not anything else and it's just my time to um to just be me really and that keeps me sane <laughs> yeah, well, we we haven't met until very recently until our phone call, and and not tonight, you know, first time, obviously face to face, as it were, uh, over the Zoom call. But I can see why Abby is being successful listening to you. Uh, we mentioned Victoria Monk and the There She Rose uh, uh, girls, uh, you know, growing across the Atlantic, and. That's a fantastic story in itself. But when I first heard Victoria speak, and she came on a couple of times on the podcast, um, there's similarities. I said to Andy the other day, you'll like Sam. She's very direct. She talks, and I, I can quite see why leading Abby, as you're obviously doing so capably, is working so well for you. And I, I think it, whilst you say you're incredibly busy, it's lovely that you found time to speak to us tonight. And would you do us the favour if we can come back to you in the new year and see how things are progressing at Abbey? Would you be happy Ab to join absolutely. us? Absolutely. Um, we're, we're, uh, my men are sitting top of the table at the moment. So we've got a big month in January, um, mm -hmm. two, two big games. If, if January goes according to plan, hopefully we'll get our promotion back to where we should be next year. So um, that, that would be 
Good to do. But you would join us again, Andy? Uh, yeah, no, just really thank you ever so much, Sam. It's great to hear. I mean, as I say, you know, um, having coached teams that have come over to Abbey and always had a warm welcome, usually left with with a defeat in the bag as well. Um, so, <laughs> but no, lo lovely to lovely to speak to you. And thank you ever so much for for joining us. And yeah, you know, I, I think it's is great what you're doing, and I, I and I love the the ideas you've got about what the the RFU can do um, to in terms of that that communication, that consultation to really work more effectively with the community game. I'd love to see it happen. Um, we'll watch this space, I guess. My 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 biggest um, focus at the moment is under 23s. So the, t the, the, the danger is kids finish cults, which is under 18s, and you expect them to suddenly over the summer go and play with your seniors. If we don't keep these kids in the game, we don't have a game. So we're doing lots of work around under 23s at the moment where we're trying to um, mentor our sort of under our 17, 18 year olds with some of our senior players who are under 23. We're looking to do an under 23s festival so that these kids can play with people of a similar age to themselves as opposed to playing with 30, 35 year old men in your senior team. Um, it gives them something a bit special because they're part of an under 23 group. I and mean, we're fortunate that, well, on Saturday, 10 of our squad were under 23. So we were really building a team for the future. But that's an age group I'm incredibly passionate about because it is the future of rugby. And this is where we need to be targeting a lot of resource. And as you say, it's quite a, a, a delicate balance. Yeah at that age where people can drop out through things like college and uni and all sorts of other things. Contact, but, keeping in contact, yeah. giving them opportunities, making them part, feel part of the club still. That's brilliant. Sam, one final question, if I might. I just remembered about what you said about cricket and that you believe that rugby union uh, could actually learn a lot from the yes. way cricket has marketed itself. What, yeah. what did you mean by that particularly? Well, I think cricket took a good look at themselves and realised that cricket was was going down the pan, really. Um, you know, less and less people were watching it. It was a bit of a complicated... Well, not complicated. I love cricket. so I, I'm. But I think they thought, how can we get interest again? How can we get kids playing? And T20, if you, if you enjoy T20, you'll then progress onto the one day. If you watch one day, you'll potentially progress onto test cricket and the hundred. What a genius marketing, doing it in the summer holidays, you know, music, DJs, funky strips. And, you know, they've really looked at how to target that population. And mm -hmm. we certainly see more and more kids playing cricket. Um, it, the, the problem with rugby and cricket is there's not enough focus in state schools. And unless we start putting money into state schools, both of those sports are going to struggle. I think also the fact that both have gone behind a paywall for a lot of the um, television, you know, the yeah. the premiership or the, the test cricket and the uh, things like that, um, a lot of it behind a paywall. I think that for me is one of the big concerns because I heard talk recently that there's even talk of the Six Nations and potentially even the World Cup further down the road going behind a paywall. And I think that would be, um, yes, it would bring the money in at the top end of the game, but it could really be damaging for the wider game in terms of getting people interested and involved. Rugby union is a pyramid. If the bottom of the pyramid starts to fall apart, the top comes down very quickly.
It's a very good analogy. Uh, thank you so much, Sam, for being with us. Really enjoyed your company. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely come back to you and talk to you in the new year and see how things are progressing, because it sounds like some great plans for rugby. Would you do me one favour? We will send you the link for this podcast. Yeah. If, if you're happy with when you listen to it, to send it on to your network, yep. that helps us grow the Absolutely. podcast. We've no. grown in this last year 58%, but it's always helped by our guest speakers when they spread it to their network. So lovely you being with us. Have a great Christmas and New Year with all your family. And we look forward to talking to you in 2024. Cheers, okay, Sam. Okay, guys. Thank happy you. Christmas. Bye. Thanks, Sam. Have a Christmas and all the best for that January uh, fixtures. Wow, what a great guest. It's lovely. Love that. Yeah, really, really good. And uh, yes, um, I, I mean, some of the things that Sam was talking about there, you know, that under 23s is such a great initiative and idea uh, because it yeah. is a is definitely an age group where having coached at adult rugby, junior rugby, where you see a tail off, where people do go off college and everything else that gets involved, you know, maybe not being in the in the local region as much. But I love that idea of still keeping people involved, the festival what a great club as well. You know, the fact that they've got that, that, that two women's teams and the, all the age groups. Yeah. I just, I think that, that's great. And uh, yeah, obviously Sam works very, very hard um, yeah. to, uh, to, to pull that all together with everything else that she has going on as well. So yeah. Great fantastic. story. It's a great story. Hope you null and void has enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, now that brings us to a close to this episode. And in fact, we've got a couple of weeks where we're going to leave you alone, let you have your Christmas and New Year, and we'll be back. What's the date we're back, Andy? Uh, the, yeah, the 11th, I think, of... Uh, Actually on air, as it were. Yeah, recording yes. on the night. But yeah, so we look forward to being with you then. Obviously, uh, people are very busy at Christmas, New Year. We respect that, so we don't expect you to be lining up to listen to us. But we'll be back with a bang in 2024. We look forward to being with you, and we always do say how important it is you're with us on a weekly basis. That 58% year-on-year growth has come from you telling other people. Carry on doing that and we'll be even bigger and better in the new year. Look forward to seeing you then. Cheers then. Bye-bye. Folks, have a fantastic festive season and a happy new year and we'll see you all in 2024. Cheerio. Null & Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on n and v at forthenow.co.uk.